is The Shortlist, a roundup of today's most captivating stories you'll want to share with your friends, compiled by USA Today editors. Now for today's top headlines. Prince Autopsy Report confirms cause of death, drug overdose. Police found a chilling kill list in the UCLA shooting. Hashtag must read. The story behind the bombshell photos that helped hold O.J. Simpson responsible for two murders. For our first story today, a very public ending for an intensely private man. The official cause of death of Prince was released Thursday. He died of fentanyl toxicity, a synthetic opioid a hundred times more powerful than morphine. We have an AP clip. Take a listen. This is AP News Minute. A Minnesota medical examiner says that music icon Prince died of an accidental overdose of the synthetic opioid fentanyl. The 57-year-old superstar was found dead at his Paisley Park estate in April. The report's release, which came in a tweet by the medical examiner's office, showed a one-page summary of the autopsy report. That also included how much Prince weighed, 112 pounds. What he was wearing, black cap, black shirt, gray undershirt, black pants, black boxer briefs, black socks. His scars, left hip, right lower leg, and how the injury occurred. The decedent self-administered fentanyl. Fentanyl is often used to treat people at the end stage of cancer, but has recently surged in popularity as an illegal street drug. The question now is, how did he get it? Next up. We now know more about the UCLA murder-suicide shooting. The gunman who killed himself was identified as Manek Sakar, 38 of Minnesota, an engineering graduate student. We also learned that panicked UCLA students used belts, cords, and other items to try to secure the doors they said did not lock. The Los Angeles Chief of Police gives more details in this AP audio clip. Uh, Follow-up investigations were done to Sarkar's uh, residence in St. Paul, Minneapolis, where uh, additional uh, information was located, which led uh, local authorities uh, to a nearby town uh, where a uh, female was located in a residence with a gunshot wound uh, causing her death. Uh, We believe Sarkar to be the uh, suspect. We believe that Sarkar uh, came to the LA area uh, very recently, uh, within the last couple of days. Uh, He traveled uh, from Minnesota in a 2003 gray Nissan Sentra. License plate number is uh, displayed right here, 720 King Tom William KTW. We are still looking for that vehicle. Uh, We believe that vehicle uh, will be unoccupied. We do not believe there are outstanding suspects, uh, but we also believe that that vehicle may contain evidence which will uh, help us to establish uh, motive and and, uh, put some uh, uh, pieces together in this case. One of the uh, the pieces of evidence that that I discussed today uh, 
was that in the search of Sarkar's residence in, uh, in Minneapolis, a, a list was located that had uh, uh, Professor Klug's name on it, another UCLA's uh, professor's name on it, and the name of the female victim uh, that was later located in the nearby town. Uh, and we, that list has been described as a kill list. Uh, that was the, the wording that was, uh, that was put on it, and that was what led us to the, to the residence in the nearby town. And for our last story today, a nobody out of nowhere is the story of how E.J. Flammer's pictures of Bruno Molly's shoes worn by O.J. Simpson were discovered and helped persuade a civil jury that the former football star was responsible for the deaths of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman. Another jury had come to a different conclusion in the criminal trial over the killings. There, the gloves didn't fit. Here, the shoes did, and 30 photos of those shoes that Flammer took nine months before the death proved it in a mid-trial bombshell. I'll never forget OJ maybe 20 feet away just glaring at me, Flammer said. It was surreal. It was like he was trying to look straight through me. Check out Eric Brady talking on USA Today's Endpoint podcast about the story of E.J. Flammer's photographs being discovered by lawyers for the civil uh, trial of O.J. Simpson versus the families of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman. And uh, it's just a fascinating listen, and it's a fascinating read. Don't forget to check it out at usatoday.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Extra Point, a podcast from USA Today Sports where we explore issues beyond the field of play. I'm Rachel Axon, your host for this episode, and today we will be discussing an interesting story from the O.J. Simpson civil case. I'm joined by Eric Brady, my USA Today Sports colleague, who reported the story of an unlikely twist in that case that contributed to the verdict against Simpson. Thanks so much for joining us, Eric. Thanks for having me, Rachel. I can't believe anyone over the age of about 20 wouldn't know this, but by way of background, O.J. Simpson was acquitted in 1995 for the June 1994 murders of his ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, and her friend, Ron Goldman. A civil jury did find him liable for wrongful death in 1997 and awarded Brown Simpson and Goldman's families $33.5 million in damages. Uh, we'll have an interview Eric did with John Q. Kelly, the attorney for the estate of Nicole Brown Simpson, a little later in the show. But I want to get to some background on, on your story. Uh, as you wrote, photographs of Simpson in the infamous Bruno Molly shoes proved to be critical evidence in that civil trial. Could you explain the significance of those shoes, the photographs, and, and how uh, the, the attorneys even came to find those? Yeah, so... Uh, it- in the criminal case, it was known that there were Bruno Molly shoes uh, and there were footprints, bloody footprints, all over the scene of the crime. They also knew that there had only been 299 of those sold in size 12 in the United States, but they were never able to find the shoes uh, themselves, and so that didn't become critical evidence in the criminal trial. In the civil trial, they were able to depose Simpson and he denied ever owning, in his infamous phrase, those ugly-ass shoes. <laughs> and uh, uh, they had one picture that was introduced uh, in evidence at the trial, taken by a freelance photographer at the time named Harry Skull, Jr. 
and it showed Simpson walking in the end zone before a Miami Dolphins-Buffalo Bills game in Rich Stadium in uh, 1993. And you could see his right foot in the air, and you could see the distinctive waffle pattern underneath. These were Bruno Mali's shoes. However, in the civil case, Simpson's attorneys argued, since there was only one photo, that it could have been doctored, uh, that it could have been faked in some way. So now it's the uh, Christmas break of the civil trial, and they have two and a half weeks off, and John Q. Kelly, who's the attorney for the estate of Nicole Brown Simpson, goes back home uh, from Santa Monica back to the East Coast in the New York City area, gets a tip from Harry Skull's attorney that there are more photos up in Buffalo uh, of Simpson in the Bruno Mali shoes. One of the things that, that your story shows is, you know, the photographer who took them and, and he was working for a Bill's Booster organization at the time uh, was a high school kid. Uh, and I think you point out in the story uh, th- that the photos that, that he would typically be taking normally wouldn't even include shoes. So could you give us a little bit more background of what those photos were and how yeah, kind of a sure. fortuitous so, that was? Uh, E.J. Flammer is uh, the name of the uh, photographer, and he's sort of the center of our story because uh, he's speaking uh, for the first time, giving a mm-hmm. full version of his story. So he began uh, shooting yearbook photos when he was in high school. By the time he takes these pictures for the Booster Club, he's a senior uh, at Canisius College in Buffalo, and his father is president of the Booster Club, mm-hmm. which is how he happens to come and take them. Now, these are what you call grip and grin shots. There are 30 pictures of O.J. Simpson posing with members of an organizing committee uh, for a banquet that's going to be held in a couple of months. And uh, normally, grip and grin shots are uh, waist up. And E.J. doesn't remember why every one of these, all 30 of them, are head to toe. (laughs) And they are crisp colored negatives. And although they don't show the underside of the shoe with the waffle pattern, uh, the experts were able to see the distinctive uh, uh, styling and, and the stitching, and they were Bruno Mali shoes. Now, you said that the, the defense in the civil trial had tried to discredit the Harry Skull photo, the one that had been in the National Enquirer. Why, aside from just the number of these, were they less able to do that in the instance of E.J. Flammer's photos? Yeah, so there was a couple things. In the case of Harry Skull, by circumstance, it happened to be the very first picture he had taken in his role, so the, it didn't have a number on it. And mm-hmm. uh, they thought that was uh, uh, something that showed it could have been faked. In this case, you had 30 of them, and crucially, one of them had been printed in Buffalo Bill's report, which was an official newspaper of the team mm-hmm. at that time. And so. Not only did you have not one photo, but 30, but you had one that had been printed in November of 93, seven months before the murder, uh, mm-hmm. which which gave you the timeline. And there's no faking that. There, there they are in the team's own newspaper. Exactly. Well, there's plenty of detail. I know you talked with John Q. Kelly about the road that led him to those. So let's go now to that conversation and hear you know, the path that brought this critical evidence into play in the civil trial. We're going to bring in John Q. Kelly, who represented the estate of Nicole Brown Simpson. John, thanks for joining us. Yeah, sure. Good to talk to you, Eric. Now, first of all, could you tell us a little bit about how you came to find out about these 30 new photos after 
uh, the hairy skull photo had already been introduced at trial, and how you happened to go to Buffalo around Christmas in 1996. Uh, right after Christmas in 96, I had gotten a call from Mike O'Connor, who was Harry Skull's attorney, and he related to me that, that Harry had seen additional photos taken of Simpson on the same day his one photo of Simpson had been taken in the Bruno Mali shoes that had been sold to the National Enquirer. He also indicated that the pictures or photos Fleischman had did not show Simpson in the shoes, but clearly indicated that one or more photographers, in addition to Skull, had been taking photos there that same day. So if we looked, we might find photos of Simpson in the shoes, which was a pretty significant lead at that time. So based on that, a couple of days later, I flew up to Buffalo. Michael Connor picked me up at the airport. We went directly to the home of Jerry Fleischman, who had been a former Booster Club president of the Bills. And sure enough, down in his basement office, he had photos of Simpson that were taken the same day as the Harry Skull photo, but did not show Simpson in the shoes. Uh, Fleischman directed me to Benny Lynch, who was a director of public relations with the Bills, uh, stating that Lynch may be able to direct me to what other photographers, photographers had been there that day, the same day that the skull photo was taken. So we then headed up to the, the Bills practice facility, uh, went into Denny Lynch's office. He was expecting us because he'd gotten a call from Fleischman, and he pulled out a banker's box of photographs included a, a number of black and white photos of Simpson that had been taken the same day as the skull photo, but it was hard to make out what shoes Simpson had. Um, Lynch had one five by seven color photograph. Uh, we could make out the shoes and uh, he indicated that uh, this kid EJ Flammer had taken that photo and many others that day and that uh, if anybody would have Photographs of Simpson in the Bruno Mali shoes from that day would be E.J. Flammer. So we then left the Bills practice facility, drove to uh, E.J. Flammer's parents' house. Uh, E.J. wasn't there. Uh, E.J.'s dad was sort of stuck in the middle trying to negotiate a discussion between myself and E.J., who at that time then knew we had photographs of Simpson in the shoes and that they were of considerable value. So uh, finally, EJ took my call from his parents' house, asked me to meet him at his agent's house, Rob McAvoy's house. We talked there a little bit, and then we all headed back to EJ's parents' house again, where EJ had a, a photography studio in the basement. We went down to the the basement, EJ, sure enough, had, a, I think it was about 30 negatives of Simpson that had been taken that same fall day in 1993, where you could clearly see in color that Simpson was wearing those Bruno Mali shoes and could actually see the pattern of the uh, bottom of the sole on the shoes even because he'd been captured walking across the field. Uh, Egypt developed, EJ developed some of them right in front of me. I sort of saw them come to life before my eyes down in that basement, and uh, there's no question then that we had about 30 photographs of Simpson taken six months before the murders or more, 
wearing the exact boot on Molly's shoes, had left the footprints all over the murder scene in, in June of 1994. So that's where the evidence came to life, how it came to life, and it was probably the single most pristine, authentic, compelling piece of evidence that was produced in the, the Simpson case. Well, that's it for the shortlist. Check us out again on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. I'm Robin Smith. Thanks for listening. <laughs>